Welcome to Imagine This Podcast, a conversation show from Imagine MKE, where we talk to creative leaders in Milwaukee and beyond to highlight all the incredible transformative power of their work in our region. We hope that after listening to the pod, you'll be able to imagine our city's arts and culture ecosystem and all the awesome artists, organizations, and creative assets within it in a new way. I'm your host, Elizabeth Gasparka. Elizabeth here. I am so grateful to be here in the digital space with all of y'all today. I must acknowledge that things have been in transition within the organization of Imagine MKE. And as such, the pod planning has been in flux. For those subscribers out there, I want to offer my apologies for the delay in the release of this episode. Moving forward, I will be returning to the format of releasing them every two weeks. Or perhaps you didn't even notice the delay. Either way, I'm so glad you're here now. I also want to express my gratitude for the hosts that I started out working with on this podcast. In particular, Lindsay Sheridan, who I will miss greatly as my co-interviewer and co-conspirator in this space. I would encourage you all to dig back into the history of this pod, which features rich and in-depth interviews of local arts and culture figures, and a lot of laughter. I'm sad to see this chapter close, but as the saying goes, today is the first day of the rest of your life. As such, this episode marks a turning point. This season, the show will undergo some big changes. In the coming weeks, you can expect a name change, guest co-hosts, and a shortened duration to the episodes. As teased in the first episode, I'll also be focusing in on the creative economy and the ways in which different players in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors position Milwaukee as a place where creativity is fueling growth, wellness, and innovation. I hope you'll join me. This week on the pod, my colleague Rachel Shields Ebersoll joins me to interview Jamie Harvey Wilms and Phoenix Brown. Harvey Wilms is the executive director of the Charles Alice and Villa Terrace Museums. Phoenix Brown is a senior curator. Together, they are endeavoring to lead these historic Eastside museums with staff made up of Milwaukee creatives to embark on a new chapter for the CAVT one that is focused on the organization's roles in the civic fabric of Milwaukee, creating spaces for inclusivity, addressing poignant social issues, and contributing actively to the creative economy in our city. Jamie Harvey Wilms is a Milwaukee-based artist and cultural producer who brings 10 years of nonprofit management experience and holds degrees in painting, sculpture, and art history. She has a studio in Milwaukee's Walker's Point and continues to show artwork nationally and internationally. Phoenix Brown is a Milwaukee-based artist-scholar who has been with the museums since January of 2022. She holds a degree in fine art and her curatorial voice is influenced by popular culture, her studio research, and institutional critique. As a contemporary art curator, she works to interpret art objects through the lenses of current social politics and the land on which the museums are constructed. After the break, Jamie Harvey Wilms and Phoenix Brown. Welcome to Imagine This Podcast, Phoenix and Jamie. It's so great to have you all. Yeah, we're, we're stoked to be here. This is a podcast I listen to often, so I, it's kind of fun. I feel like a celebrity now. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> well, we're really excited to jump into a conversation about all the great work that you're doing at the Charles Alice and Villa Terrace. But as is tradition, we want to kick off our conversation today by asking you each to tell us a story of an arts or cultural experience that left a strong imprint on you. A arts and cultural experience that I had that has made an impact on me was when we visited the John Michael Kohler Arts Center recently in the last, I think like we visited in July, June or July, it was over the summer. 
But we went back up there because we were interested in how Kohler was kind of functioning as a house museum and also showing contemporary art, which is the direction Mm -hmm. that we're kind of pivoting towards. Mm -hmm. So going there and like, I never knew that Kohler was a house museum because of that large like extension that they have on the other side of the house. Mm -hmm. So I was really surprised about how they essentially like carve or like shape their house to fit their exhibition so like in the past Jamie has told me that they've bent like the floorboards and like put Mm. like faux floor on top of the floor to like create illusions they've painted over the molding which our collections manager is like no we are not painting over our molding (laughs) but you know a girl can dream (laughs) but yeah I think that was really impactful because it just showed me like what's possible with historic places I think that's very important and just kind of continuing to add value to these places that we steward Mm, I know exactly which exhibition you're describing with the floorboards kind of curling up it was amazing Mm. they also had their duct like the grates over the ducts were like melting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was it was just like there was a secret or a surprise in every corner um I really thought it brought the house alive so when we were up there I was like Phoenix guess what they did (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think they're a gold standard that we would love to you know take as much of the good things that we can from them and learn as much as we can because Milwaukee deserves the best that we can do Uh, you know, as I was reading through the questions beforehand, I was going back and forth between like that formative experience in the third grade where you become an artist Mm. or the first time a museum gave me the like nervous stomach bubbles, like you have a crush on someone. (laughs) And I kind of landed on the first time I cried in a museum. I was in Kansas City and uh, and this was like the stomach bubbles too, <laughs> where you walk out of there and you're like, wow, I hope they like me, but you're thinking about a museum and a bunch of paintings. Like it has nothing <laughs> to do with the, the individual. Um, but I turned a corner at, I think it was the Nelson Atkins. I turned a corner and there was an Anselm Kiefer in front of me that I had kind of worshiped from afar in mm. art history books for so long. And it was, and I'm an emotional person, but it was instant tears. And I was like, I couldn't believe that story was being told I in front of me. I couldn't believe mm. the kind of empathy of hand that, that uh, an Anselm Kiefer kind of evokes when you're standing next to it with tar and lead and, you know, the, the guts of the earth, there's dirt and flowers all over this thing. Mm. And I, I just had a very visceral reaction and so um, when I had the opportunity to uh, come to the Charles Allison Villa Terrace, I think that was one of the most exciting things was, holy cow, I'd be able to support and facilitate experiences like that. So that was really formative. Um, I don't know if I ever knew I had the ability to work in a museum, you know, mm-hmm. especially as like a lost 19 year old in art school, but um, <laughs> I'm certainly glad I'm here now. <laughs> mm. Well, we're so glad to have you at this really exciting moment for both of these institutions. That's a great segue. Would you, would you share with us and our listeners, Jamie, a little bit about your own professional trajectory that brought you to this point? Yeah. So um, I have a degree in painting and art history and a master's degree in sculpture. Um, When my husband and I moved from New York to Wisconsin, uh, I, I tripped and fell into nonprofits and working with youth serving organizations um, and was uh, really given the opportunity to become a leader. Um, and most recently, I was the executive director of Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Washington County. And, um, you know, in that time, I carried a studio here in Milwaukee and Walker's Point and and tried to stay as connected as I could to my arts environment, taught part-time at Myad in the fall. And I really had the opportunity to learn how to be mission-driven and how to lead an organization. And so when this opportunity came forward to work with the Charles Ellis and Villa Terrace, I'm very fortunate that the board of directors had faith in me and offered me the position. And so I landed here with this incredible team and an incredible mission with a world of opportunity at our door. And I couldn't be more thrilled to be here. 
Jamie, that is such a cool trajectory and you've gotten to dip your toes into sort of a broad spectrum of nonprofits. And, and what struck me from your story is when I think of Charles Alice and Villa Terrace, I don't necessarily think of youth. Right. <laughs> that's good feedback. Uh, you know what? I thank you, Rachel. I appreciate that because you know I don't I don't know if anybody does really, and so that's that's I think um, where I get to take that mission drive right that comes from a youth serving agency and figure out with this incredible team where we're going to go <laughs> to yeah. find the youth. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. It seems yep. like a really clear opportunity that you are in a great position to take advantage of. So I'm excited to see what happens with that. Yeah. Just don't talk to my little, they might not tell you that I know what the youth want. So <laughs> <laughs> is your, is your child old enough to be on TikTok? Yes, um, they are. They um, turned 16 this year. And uh, that's terrifying in and of itself. (laughs) We've been matched for five years and it's just been a wild ride. They want to be an artist. And so I've been such a I, I mean, I've been so blessed to kind of work with them and, and show them what I know. And mm-hmm. they make sure to remind me of what I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> That sounds like a symbiotic relationship. Absolutely. Well, and we both love tacos. So it works. <laughs> love that. Art and tacos, the best things in life. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Before we dig into what Charles Ellis and Villa Terrace are doing at this time to reach young and diverse audiences, I do want to ask you, Phoenix, to share with the listeners a little bit about your own professional trajectory. Sure. So kind of similar to Jamie, I kind of came in through the back door to like museum studies as a whole and that whole <laughs> that entire world. So I have a degree in, for just fine art from Maya. So I'm kind of been in Milwaukee for about seven years now. So I'm a transplant Mm. from Ohio. And just throughout my time while I was at Myad, I've always been drawn to writing and reading. So I was very much so an academic and none of my friends understood why I like doing these things and tried really hard. But I think it's just because I have like an interest in research and like discovering different modes of like understanding artworks, you know, and that's like something I can't put into my own art practice because I can only talk about myself really in my work because it's very more much so like personal narrative driven. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to get the itch out with like researching and like (laughs) writing thoughtfully about things through like studying other people's art. So with that, while I was an undergrad, I just did a lot of interning. I camped out in conservation. I tried registration. I, I feel like I did something else. It's kind of started to become a blur, <laughs> but I've been in every part of like museum studies. And then I think curatorial fit the best with me with just with mm-hmm. what I want to do and being able to connect to the community. Mm-hmm. I always point back to the time when I realized I think I was a curator when I was doing my conservation internship. I was at the Cincinnati Art Museum mm-hmm. and I asked a paper conservator, like, what's one regret that you have, you know, while you're working in conservation? And she says that she regrets not being able to change the world or her work not changing the world, mm-hmm. which I disagree with because con- conservators change the world all the time. But I think what she would maybe pointing to say was that she doesn't get to interact with the community that often and something in those words that she said kind of struck me and I'm like I'm in the wrong place (laughs) Mm. so yeah ever since then I've just been kind of leaning towards curatorial and then after I graduated I landed at the Milwaukee Art Museum Mm -hmm. I was there for two years as a curatorial fellow and I did a lot of research in their American art collection and just added a lot of context to the objects and put on a small exhibition there. But mm. yeah, after that, and then I ended up at the Charles Alice down the street, essentially. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that uh, story that you just shared about the conservator. That that just strikes me that, yeah, in life, there are these moments that are kind of gifts when people who've been at it a little bit longer than you choose to be vulnerable and choose to open up and share their perspective in that way. So I'm glad that that struck you at the time and that that was something that was instructive. Yeah, me too. I could be doing something I hate right now. I don't hate (laughs) conservation. That's what I, not what I meant, but you know what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a moment and pivot back to kind of where we were going in the conversation before You're both new leaders within the organization. Tell us about some of the ways that the organization is changing and adapting right now to 
create more welcome in the community? I can go first, Phoenix. Um, you know, I came in in May off of an interim director's stint. And our interim director, his name is Neil Albrecht, he did an incredible job of reaching back out to the community and reminding them that we are here. He also really set us on a, a really stable foundation to be able to do some very small changes that, you know, don't blow the 2022 budget, but also put us in a place where we can be really successful in the next five years. So a few small things that we're doing is we're starting museum stores at both locations. So we moved the entry point to the Villa, of the Villa Terrace to what is the Smith family playroom where all six children used to play. And there's some really beautiful glass cabinetry in there. It's filled with bright light very accessible from from the courtyard and so you're immediately walking in now to a welcoming space where we will have swag for sale Um, we're working on bringing in some really incredible partners in the community that make amazing jewelry Um, Mm -hmm. so you're going to be watching for some Saval collective pieces at the museums Yes, yes, I know. I know. I'm probably just going to spend my ch- paycheck in the store um, once we're open here. <laughs> um, we're also putting together some swag. My marketing specialist has been working really hard on some designs that will be produced. We're talking to some ceramicists as mm-hmm. well as, you know, going through our own archives. And we found a very awesome stash of antique postcards from the Alice. Ooh. Yeah. So there'll be all sorts of things. Um, Phoenix has also been working on, you know, providing us with a list of three to five books with every exhibition that Mm -hmm. are good reference points. So you'll be able to take something away. And I think that that is, is such a really incredible opportunity. I am a, as a museum lover, I might sometimes spend more time in gift shops than I do the actual (laughs) museums. Um, So that's one of those pieces. And then additionally, we're really looking at our membership structure. So Mm. uh, one of those things is that making sure it's affordable for students. Uh, Right now, I think our our membership for a student is set at $25, um, which is too high, quite Mm. honestly, Mm -hmm. for a college student, especially like if we look at Maya's student body population, a significant portion of, of students enrolled at the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design, our first generation students. And so we know that Mm. they are working on long-term stability for themselves and for their families. Mm -hmm. And so the Charles Ellis and Villa Terrace don't need to interrupt that. We need to aid that. Mm. And so we're looking at starting on November 1st, student memberships will be $10, which is the admission to a museum. Wow. That's big. Yeah. Uh, And then small things like painting some walls that were kind of dark, providing cozy chairs to sit in or benches to view artwork or spend time in in the rooms, as well as what Phoenix is really um, in charge of. And that's bringing in incredible, interesting exhibitions that kind of talk back to these houses and give us Mm. new insights to these places. So all of those things tied up. And then one small piece too, that I want to make sure I mention because I'm so excited about it. (laughs) By October 15th, we will also have audio tours in the museums for children. So there's a children's guide and adults Mm -hmm. guide. And then we're working on translating into other languages for the summer. Um, But we will have audio guides for both museums for the first time in just a few short weeks here. That's so exciting. Yeah. I think uh, again, we're county owned, you know, uh, you pay your taxes. So therefore you have two incredible mansions on the Upper East Side. Bring your friends, come have a drink, do your homework. (laughs) This is your home. So I think we, we owe it to Milwaukee to make sure that we are living and breathing history and art for them. And uh, that's where it would segue to what Phoenix is doing in curatorial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice baton pass. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I came onto the museum in January. So there have been a few inherited exhibitions that I've had to like put together. So in some, sometimes I kind of felt like a project manager because they've mm-hmm. already been ideated. So I was just kind of going with the motions and putting them on as I should. But for future exhibitions, I'm hoping to just begin to add like 
exhibitions that relate to the community and connecting the community to like larger conversations that are happening outside of Milwaukee. So more of like a global context with like even like social political ideas Mm -hmm. and how they inform like our everyday down to like from maybe we could talk about capitalism and talk about how it's related to art or we can talk about like immigration and these sorts of topics because I feel like that's something Milwaukee doesn't have but I think a part of my job is to figure out what the community wants and what they want to see. And I think in the past, the community hasn't seen themselves inside the museum, just from what I've researched and looked through like the past exhibitions at the museums. So I hope that just begin to add relevance and relevance is also can be interpreted as like adding new information to like an already known subject matter. So if guests can like come to the museum and have kind of an idea of like, you know, for example, what immigration is about. And then we provide them like extra context through like art imagery or providing them books about things that they probably wouldn't have known. So they get to go home with the conversation. We don't want it to end after they leave. We want the engagement to continue. And then we just recently hired exhibition programming assistant so she's been wonderful so far and she's like creating programs to help us kind of drive home that relevance idea with curatorial so a lot of exciting things are happening and plus we get I guess recently we're getting like you know we're updating our tech here at the museum so we'll be able Mm. to like have more we'll become more flexible with what we can have on view at the exhibition and for how long so a lot of exciting stuff fantastic now I'm I'm also wondering about just because it's been on my radar through social media and such. Can you tell us a little bit about the residency and about the music series that's happening at Charles Alice this fall specifically? Because those sound like really relevant and fun new avenues of engagement. So pre-pandemic, the the Alice used to do Autumn at the Alice and actually would even produce a, a CD or an album of the artists that played at the Alice. So really, some of these things are not new ideas. They're just making sure that we're really reaching out to the community to remind them that post-2020, we're still here. Mm -hmm. And so our Cafe Sopramare music series, which is on Sunday mornings, follows free yoga on the terrace on Sunday mornings. People love it. And I love it. You know, I come to work on my days off just to eat a day old pastry and and stretch on the terrace. And so when we look at the seasonality of these homes, um, that was something we actually picked up from the John Michael Kohler Art Center was the length of their exhibitions are really long because the outdoor spaces inform the indoor spaces when you live Mm -hmm. in a home. Mm -hmm. And so they really trust the seasons to bring in new environments and new perspectives to the work that is there. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sentence when when one of their team I don't remember who said it but when one of their team members said that to us I went oh there's a seasonality to these things you know where in the summer we can be on the terrace and we can do folksy music and jazz and all this fun stuff in the courtyard but in the fall let's go cozy at the Alice Mm. and in and in the winter maybe we need to partner with the symphony you know so what are we doing to bring the seasons inside and outside in the way that a true Wisconsiner (laughs) or Wisconsinite (laughs) has to? One of the things we're also doing with Autumn at the Alice is if you're a member, your first drink is on us. So we really want our members to come feel welcome, have a beer and sit outside and enjoy October. So we're really excited about that. And then just talking about engaging new spaces, that's kind of where it leads into these residencies that really wake up homes. You know, I think the Fister does that really well. The St. Kate is just starting to do it. But Phoenix definitely has taken the lead on this and and she'll be able to share a lot more about what we're doing to make sure that this is successful and where it's going to go. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. So with the artists of residence, so... The Alice has had an artist in residence before in the past, but, you know, due to like COVID, it kind of got ate up by the pandemic. So we're bringing it back. We are resuscitating the artist in residence program, but we feel like it's important that contemporary artists, like living artists are producing work in the midst of the museum while visitors are here, you know, because I think general public, because we're all like art people. So we understand how art is made, but (laughs) not everybody knows that. And it gives like guests like a, inside I don't want to say insider scoop that's kind of corny but I guess more so of like a idea or like a scope of like how artists make Mm -hmm. 
And what's fun about this residency at the Alice in particular is that it's a sculpture-based residency. So we have like a yard in the back of the museum that doesn't hold anything necessarily or house any objects. We usually use it for events as an event space. So we're hoping to expand the use of that space and then through like having sculptures installed out in that yard after the residency concludes, because that's what the residency is. You produce work while you're at the Alice. And then at the end of the residency, you have an exhibition. And we're hoping to draw people in into the community because I think Jamie mentioned this recently, like we're like the only green space on the east side or just where we are in like, I guess, how many blocks? I guess not. It's like a lot of blocks. Like, we're like I mean, I I mean, between us and the villa, there's no public green space. So and the villa is not open all the time, whereas the Alice's green space is open all the time. You know, we pick up dog remnants uh, constantly. Um <laughs> And you know what? Bring on the puppies. We're not mad about it, but maybe p- pick up your stuff. But other than that, you know, it's a public space, this green space. And we know that our community actually depends on it. So what we want to do is activate it. And Phoenix really ideated this idea of a sculpture-based residency to engage this outdoor, you know, it, it's it's semi-landscaped. It's lovely. We make sure it's mowed, but I think we can do more. And so we took a look at the Alice's laundry room and went, well, sculptors need to wash their hands. Uh, <laughs> if you're doing plaster, you need water, you know, and, and, and cleaned out the space. And Phoenix has really just made it happen. Yeah. Also had a wonderful team help me put everything together. So it wasn't just me. I'm just kind of the ringleader. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that is really exciting. It's, I don't think I've ever been to the green space at the Alice. So I'm definitely putting that on my list. So thank you for that. I, I love hearing this sense of welcome that you both are bringing and multiple ways for people to engage and, um, you know, like house museums can feel kind of stuffy and insular. And I can really hear that you both are finding uh, a thousand ways to reverse that insularity. I don't know what the opposite of insular is, but um, <laughs> but it sounds like you're really focused on that and I love it. And um, the museum store is pretty exciting too, having local artists there. I know when I go to museum gift stores, I find the most interesting books. So Phoenix, thank you in advance for, <laughs> for that. And we, we'd love to ask more about Charles Ellis and Villa Terrace's impact on the Milwaukee economy? You know, what ways do you see that your organizations have on the local workforce and local artists and creatives, etc.? I think, you know, I actually, I sometimes I can be like a very uh, surface level, level economic nerd. So I love human behavior economics. I couldn't speak super intelligently about it, but I love reading about it. I love listening to it. And when I think about the goals that Milwaukee County has, I think that the Charles Ellis and Villa Terrace can play a strong role in, in those economics of human behavior. So mm-hmm. Milwaukee County was ranked one of the unhealthiest, if not the unhealthiest county in the state just a few years ago. And our county executive and 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 his team really set a goal of, you know, if you're at the bottom, let's go to the top. We need to be the healthiest. And one of those things that I think is a driver in health is access to public space, access to art, access to safe spaces, and, um, and inclusion, right, it is really at the center of all of those things. So as county-funded arts institutions, I think we have a real responsibility to respond to the needs of Milwaukee. So when we when i think about economics it's it's doing a couple of things it's being really a, a good steward of tax dollars and so i want you to see your tax dollars at work and i want you to see it preserving your history and not just the pretty history but all of the history mm. i want people to see themselves in their public spaces and then additionally i want our spaces to be a, a moment of respite and education and that's not necessarily, I keep using I sentences, but if we go back in history and we look at Sarah Alice's will, she said that this space is supposed to delight, educate, and inspire. And I think that that becomes our calling. And it's a little bit of my own personal rallying cry once I kind of went through her will and realized that 
we could do that and it would support the economics of Milwaukee and it would allow us to be good stewards and it would hopefully aid in this journey that isn't just physical health, but also mental. And so let's, let's make some quiet, beautiful green spaces. Let's open up our garden at the villa for some mindfulness tours. You know, these are ideations. These aren't things that are happening just yet, but as we walk through this kind of journey of building a strategic plan, I think it comes down to civic responsibility And I think that is the connection to economy. Absolutely. And I think maybe I'll add something about like just the creative economy to what you were saying, Jamie. So I think it's important that the Ville and the Charles Alice is a more active partner in like our creative economy because like we have like such a large hub of like arts culture here in Milwaukee. Like we're just like this strange like island in the middle of the Midwest (laughs) with a lot of like heavy hitters, like just residing here in the county, which is kind of, I don't know. I hope somebody one day makes a documentary about Milwaukee artists because it's like so, it's such an interesting topic, but. (laughs) Great idea. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's important that we support emerging artists in our community. There's not a lot of museums that are willing to spend the time to help mentor emerging artists because we find that it's important because I, Um, you know, we're both artists. So we think it's like important for us to have those kinds of opportunities early in our career. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping just to teach Milwaukee in general that contemporary art is accessible to understand and in contributing to, you know, paying artists and paying performers and people who come to the museum and just continuing to keep money in like our sector, Mm. essentially to just keep, you know, just to support ourselves. You know, if we spend money on artists, artists will give back to us in a different way, but we give to them. So it's like a cultural exchange. Mm. I love that you're both coming from an artistic background. And I'm wondering, is that true for the staff in general? Is is the staff made up of mostly artists? I mean, you reflect on that. I joke that we're an artist run museum or Mm. artist run like project because everybody here is a creative in some capacity. You know, when I think about our team as a bunch of creatives, I think artists are inherently problem solvers Mm. um, because (laughs) most of the time uh, we create a problem and then we have to fix it, right? (laughs) Like uh, I painted this canvas red. It can't be solid red. I need to adjust these things, right? Um, But we're also people that look at a system and see where it needs to be interrupted or Mm. where it needs to be supported. And I think that that becomes a true asset to this entire team. I literally walked into a a group of experts, you know, that um, I've been able to say, yep, be an expert. Here's the dollar amount. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And that is really, really exciting to just continuously learn from such an incredible group of people that have been assembled at these spaces. Uh, But Phoenix, question for you. You were talking about how a museum, you know, can support emerging artists. And that's something that I had never seen before as myself an emerging artist and at one point and then kind of transitioning into kind of executive arts roles. Um, But you have an exhibition coming up that you very intentionally brought in emerging artists. Can you talk a little bit about that as like not just a passion for you, but also maybe a, maybe more than a passion, a mission. Yeah, so our upcoming exhibition at Villa Terrace opens on October 27th. So it's titled Grounded. And it's an exhibition of three emerging artists who are sculpture-based. They make sculpture artwork. And they're all, yeah, like I said, they were all emerging artists. And I felt that it was important to go back out to the community and to find these artists and just uplift them in any capacity because these are the people who are going to represent us in the future. You know, they are mm-hmm. going to be stewards of Milwaukee if they choose to stay here. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's important to love on our artists that are here right now and also give a platform to younger artists because I feel like they're easily overlooked. And most of the time, if you want, if you're a young artist and you want to show in a museum, you have to go show like in a thousand other places first to build up the credibility, which is true, you know, because you need to be able to follow through on things and like have like the, you know, the, um, what's the word, like the, uh, I lost the word, like the reputation, a good reputation is what I was trying to say. But, you know, even though it's kind of like, 
I don't want to say it's a risk go working with artists, but I think it's just my teacher brain as well working because I also teach at Maya every once in a while. So I think also helping these artists to like how to like function in like a larger institution like this is very important. So it's almost like an educational, mm. you know, experience if they want it to be an educational experience. So I'm happy to help. I'm very patient. So, yeah, but I thought this was important because when like a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic hit, I was in a jury show at the Trout Museum of Art. And that was like a small museum similar to like our size here. And I was, you know, still emerging artist. I was super fresh out of my head at the time and I already had a museum show and it was wonderful. And it did a lot of things for my work. It made it mm. more valuable, it increased like the value of the works. It was able to open doors for me in the future to other institutions. And they also provided me with a platform through like promoting my work on their site or on their, you know, in their exhibitions, in their museums. So I feel like I'm hoping that we can do the same for emerging artists as well and just be that stepping stone for them to uplift them. I love hearing that because that's something that within the creative sector, people have been asking for for so long. It really feels like that's a kind of a gaping hole that's existed in Milwaukee. So very exciting. It's also something that like as an emerging artist, you know, I've had shows in museums and have never been told, yep, we'll pay for shipping, Hmm. you know, and, and I think that that's one of those things where when we look at what is our priority in economics, you know, Rachel, to your question or Phoenix to your passion for emerging artists or looking at what can we do? um, Maybe we can't pay for crating but we can pay for shipping, right? And we can model really good behavior, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which, you know, I think sounds a little silly, but, um, you know, I, I just recently shipped a painting to and from New York and to and from the total was $700, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are dollars my studio is fighting for. And, you know, and so I think that when, when we look at that Phoenix's leadership in this way, and really having her model to me, because when this was, when we first talked about this, I was like, well, no museums ever paid for my shipping. <laughs> right. So there's like this weird, um, uh, like old guard mentality where I'm like, wait, that's not the role. But then Phoenix is also saying, hold on, but we can redefine that and we can do better. So, um, her leadership inside of that, uh, it makes my job just slightly harder, but it also, <laughs> um, gives us an opportunity to hopefully try to set new standards and goals for our, our, um, industry. Right. Wow. You both are clearly so thoughtful about your work and about it having meaning and purpose and like a larger mission. Like you were talking about Jamie, I I really hear that mission driven sensibility for both of you. You know, you've talked about thinking about representation, thinking about capitalism and immigration and health Are there other ways that maybe upcoming shows or upcoming initiatives are going to intersect with some of the complex social issues that we're dealing with? Mm, Good question. So I think an upcoming event is not really anything to do with our exhibitions, but we are one of like five museums that are registering people to vote. Oh, wow. On October 6th. Yeah, it's like a partnership with Milwaukee County Historical Society. So I think they're wrangling up still like all the museums, but I think definitely the Jewish Museum is like a like a registration spot. We are one on October 6th. So it'll just be me at a table up front at our desk, just registering people. (laughs) I've done voter registration canvassing in the past. So this will I'm excited to do it again. And I think American Black Holocaust Museum is also doing it too. So I think there might be like one or two other museums that are also partnering, but it's kind of a cool thing to just kind of, you know, unite as like smaller museums in the county, but then also give back to the community and just kind of continue to push our, you know, propel our civic duty forward because, you know, we're technically civic workers because we, I guess in some weird way, we work for the county. So we're really just doing our job. (laughs) Well, I, you know, and I really do have to say that I have a team here that is very voting forward. So we're actually a voting site. My events manager is like a certified voting site manager. And that's one of those things that's really exciting. That was something I totally had no clue that I was walking uh, into and then got so excited that these are opportunities that are afforded, you know, to museums. 
Um, as cultural connectors, we also have um, just recently joined Museums for All, mm-hmm. which is a federal program that museums are signing up for. Uh, you have to kind of fill out a very brief application and be approved. But Museums for All is a federal initiative connected to SNAP and EBT. So anyone that shows a SNAP or an EBT card at our door um, has free admission for themselves and their families. And, uh, you know, and we're also, we don't receive a penny for it from the federal government. It's literally just something you sign up for and you're committing to as an institution. Mm. And then um, the, the federal program, I believe, does a small amount of marketing through the SNAP and EBT. Like they send out that information. It's available through their website. Um, So we really feel super fortunate to join the Betty Brin and Discovery World as Museums for All, which brings our total up to four institutions in Milwaukee that are supporting our community in this way because we know that economic dividers have nothing to do with people and their families sometimes and, and the situations that they've been in. And that shouldn't limit your access to history or art or beautiful gardens or a quiet day, you know? And so I think that that's just part, a little bit more of that civic engagement that we get to do. Mm. Are we the only art institution that's a part of? In Milwaukee. Follow-up question. (laughs) So does the fundraising uh, for Charles Ellis and Villa Terrace, like for example, the membership program helped to offset some of the costs since you're, you're not receiving federal dollars for that? So yes. So we're, um, we are, are about 50% of our annual budget actually comes from our weddings and our events. Um, the Villa Terrace is a gem in the Midwest mm-hmm. that our couples just uh, love and they want to come to, and they know they're going to get a premiere and incredible experience. And so we're leaning into that a little bit in the next couple of years too, to make sure that we're providing a really good experience, but also making sure that the value is there for the museums because it doesn't create a ton of wear and tear. Mm. Additionally, we receive funding from the county. It's about $250,000 a year. Our memberships and ticketing is about another 50,000. So it's actually a very small amount of the revenue that we generate and we really trust our stakeholders and our grant granting bodies to make up any other gaps that we have. And really in the next five years, we're, we're going to be drilling down even harder into some of those granting requests that we put out there. Thank you. So we have just a few more questions for you, but can you tell our listeners what's on view right now? What, what will they experience if they plan a visit? Yeah, so... At the Villa Terrace right now, we have In the Park with Olmsted, A Vision for Milwaukee on view through September 25th. It's an exhibition that essentially introduces the community to Olmsted Parks here in Milwaukee. So Washington Park, Lake Park, and also Newberry Drive. Like, I don't know if anybody's driven down that. It's like on the east side, like almost, it's near like Oakland Euros or Riverside so oddly, Park. Oddly wide intersection. Yeah, very oddly, but you know, <laughs> Olmsted had a vision, a vision for Milwaukee. <laughs> he wanted a wide intersections, you know, wide streets. So, and he also designed Riverside Park as well. So it's a really cool in- exhibition. Mm-hmm. And then like, there's like a part of the exhibition that where artists respond to the parks. So they go to the parks and like paint mm-hmm. images of like sort of the vistas that they see there when they experience it. Mm-hmm. So that's at Villa. And here at Charles Alice, we have Ghost of Segregation, and that's on view through December 4th. So this exhibition is essentially like vestiges of racism and just how it's ingrained into our architecture. So the history of like segregation is ever present. I really loved what you said about vestiges. And another word I think we've used is echoes of, of segregation and how Sometimes you're driving down the road and you have no idea where you are and what has happened there. And I think Rich Frischman really tries to, through really beautiful photographs and through strong didactics that really document these spaces, allow us to kind of ruminate and chew through um, our shared histories and and really decide and ask where we're going to go. And so Phoenix um, inherited this exhibition as a curator. However, we really um, and she chose to truly make space in the museum 
Um, we took down pieces of our permanent collection for the first time in a very long time. Mm. Um, we created seating and we created quiet spaces for people to kind of sit down and journal and really take a break too, because it is a strong and powerful and dark history that we've woven here in America. And so uh, if, you, if you come to the Alice, you're in for an opportunity to engage with segregation literally by even standing on the grounds. And so being on the Upper East Side, we know that there are, you know, historically things like redlining and um, lack of access to banking and all of these things that maybe were legislated to either hinder groups of people or there was things that subverted legislation once we, once we really came around on the civil rights movement. So we have an opportunity, I think, to tell that story. And we've partnered with ABHM. So we do have membership swap through December um, on, spe- on specific days. And we have a book club coming up. Um, so if you come to the Alice, you'll be introduced to all of these wonderful things. And then upcoming also at the Villa is Grounded. And that's what Phoenix has been really working on with these emerging artists to establish this uh, incredible sculptural exhibition at the Villa. Well, that's a pretty exciting season. so thanks for sharing that with us as we're coming up on the end of our time together I know we could keep talking about all of these things but we really want to make sure that our listeners can find you all both personally for your personal art and the the work that you're doing with Charles Alice and Villa Terrace so where can they find you where do you want people to to go looking for your work or how to connect with you Yeah, so we are the most active on Instagram. Our Instagrams are pretty fun. Our (laughs) Instagram handle is at Villa Terrace for Villa Terrace. And then it's Charles Alice at Charles Alice Art Museum. I think it's Charles Charles Alice Art Museum. Yeah, so yeah, Villa Terrace and then Charles Alice Art Museum are two Instagram handles. And for my personal work, it's at Phoenix is Phoenix is Phoenix. It's like a riff off of Mel B from like the Spice Girls. Her daughter is also named Phoenix Brown and her handle is Phoenix is Phoenix. So I just added an extra Phoenix. So there's two of us. <laughs> it's really hard. So that's why also why I have an S in my name, because like, if you just type in Phoenix Brown, she comes up instead. <laughs> I literally never knew that. And when I first tried to find you on Instagram, I was like, this is not Phoenix Brown. I had no idea that was Melby's daughter. That's so, oh gosh. I feel like. <laughs> Isn't that strange? <laughs> yes. It's, it's like one of those weird, like glitches in the matrix. <laughs> I think we're like almost the same age too. So it's, we're like oh doppelgangers. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Um, yeah, you can find us there. You can also find us at cavtmuseums.org. Our website does need a little retooling, but you're able to both learn more about the Charles Alice and the Villa Terrace when you visit us online. And my Instagram handle, I feel like this is like a shameless plug. So thank you for inviting this. Um, (laughs) it's J K A Y E Harvey, H A R V E Y. So it's my first initial, my middle name and my my maiden name. So J K Harvey and K is K A Y E. Awesome. Okay. Well, we have one more question for you before we let you go with this has been such a delight to hear from both of you. Um, as you may know, as listeners of the podcast, we have the power of making our guests, the city's leader of arts and culture, Uh, The only caveat is that it only lasts for the remainder of the podcast episode. So you're going to have to act really quickly. Um, So each of you get a chance to respond and say, what policy would you enact in the next couple minutes as the leader of arts and culture in Milwaukee? Oh my gosh. Uh, Can I go first? I have one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. For the next, I don't know, 45 seconds to seven minutes. Um, all museums are free to everyone and they are fully funded. <laughs> that's, that's my mandate. If I'm the czar of all things, arts and culture. That's a good one. I love that. Mine would be to just like subsidize the word or just pay for all artists like studio rent. 
Mm-hmm. And everybody gets like a thousand dollars for materials. And that's just like Ooh. a part of like, you know, you just register with Milwaukee County, you're an artist and you get free studio rent and some cash. Like that's what mm. I would do. Mm. <laughs> Can I dig in a little bit? Is that supported through sales tax? Like how does that work? Oh yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. It's all <laughs> taxpayer. So we're artists of the County. We're all civic workers. Now. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> That'll be a problem down the road. But Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like. <laughs> Like maybe that's like if something were to become legalized, maybe that's what would fund it, right? Like mm, let's draw no. some tangential lines. Like I, I, I think see. we could create new revenue, you know, mm-hmm. to to really make that a through line. I'm picking up what you're laying down, Jamie. I mm-hmm. like that idea. Yep. I did yep. learn that, you know, we think of Cleveland as as pretty well funded for the arts, but they actually don't have any municipal funding. It is all from cigarette tax. Wow. See, that's like, that's the way to do it. I love that (laughs) so much. I mean, I exploit people's habits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've no, I've no desire to run for office, but if I did, Rachel, you just nailed it. (laughs) Well, Phoenix and Jamie, it's been so fun to chat with you both. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Gosh, it was a blast to be here and what, what an opportunity to be able to share what we do. So thank you for asking us. It's, it's been a, it's been fun, first of all, and a real blessing. So we appreciate it. It was great to have you. I, I just personally really loved hearing about your work and I'm super excited that we can share this with our listeners. They can't see me, but I'm doing a shoulder dance. (laughs) We're all, we're all shimmying. We're we're all doing a jig. (laughs) Except Rachel, who's in a closet. Yeah. If I, if I try to shimmy, then I will have coats fall on top of me. (laughs) Well, thanks again, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review, or contact us. Imagine This Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Elizabeth Gasparka. The show's theme music was written and produced by Bobby Drake. To catch all the latest from Imagine MKE, hit us up at Twitter and Instagram at imagine underscore MKE or Facebook. Imagine MKE.